Welcome to the Social World Podcast. Uh, my name is Dave Niven. Um, I'll be talking about anything and everything to do with the social world. Uh, anything that comes my way, there'll be news, there'll be items, there'll be interviews, anything that's contemporary and, to be quite frank with you, anything that I think would interest you. My background's in social work. I was a former chair of the British Association of Social Workers and um, mostly I worked with children and families and mostly I worked involved with child protection and latterly with disabled children and their families. So I hope you enjoy it. Today's guest is John Devaney, who's Director of Education at Queen's University Belfast. He's also a qualified social worker and he's the Senior Lecturer in Social Work at Queen's. But in addition, John's also got a national position. Uh, he's a member of the Safeguarding Board for Northern Ireland, but he's also the National Chair for BASPSCAN, the British Agency for the Study and Prevention of Child Abuse and Neglect. A very warm welcome to you, John. Thank you very much, David. I'm pleased to join you. Excellent. Well, I mean, it couldn't be a more kind of opposite time to talk about various things, but maybe we could start with child protection, if that's all right with you. Certainly. And have a little bit of a look at what the child protection system, in your view, is achieving and maybe what the fundamental building blocks are for that, in, in your view, or and even what needs to be changed, what needs to be addressed, what needs to be underlined, and what needs to be ditched. I mean, entirely up to you, John, if you want to just sort of give me your views on that. David, I think that the objectives of the child protection system are relatively well understood. That firstly, it's about trying to reduce the prevalence and incidence of child abuse and neglect through preventative approaches. And I think most of your listeners will understand the importance of trying to prevent something happening in the in the first place uh, if it's likely to have adverse or negative consequences for a child and their family. And ultimately what we're trying to do is to reduce the child mortality rate as a consequence of having a system that not only identifies children who might be at risk of significant harm, but is able to step in there and protect them and where we know some children have experienced harm, it's about trying to prevent them experiencing further harm as we move forward. And really the key to that is doing two things. Firstly, trying to address the effects of the harm experienced by children on their development and promoting their welfare, resulting in improved psychological and social functioning and improved educational attainment. And we know that that's most likely to be achieved if we're able to work with their parents, addressing the difficulties that parents experience that often get in the way of their parenting, whether that's as a result of domestic violence, their own poor mental health or substance misuse. Mm. And in many of the cases that your listeners uh, will be involved in, it's actually two or three of those issues all interacting with one another. Yeah. I, I notice, in fact, that these have been particular topics that have been of interest to you on the research front as well, from looking at the uh, if you like the projects that you've got uh, that are live at the moment at the university, I mean, I, I'm looking at things like the impact of early childhood experiences on adolescent suicide and accidental death and uh, looking at uh, issues, implications for reproductive health and well-being, looking at the, the issues between disability to domestic abuse and proper health care, but also looking at very early years, as you said, and whole attachment theory. It's a very, very live subject, isn't it? Certainly, and I think that the research that we've been engaged in and many other um, 
academics and researchers are doing at the moment is trying to better understand what is it that's likely to make a difference for children who in their adolescence and early adulthood seem to have come through a whole range of adversities and who seem to be struggling with life in general. Um, and what some of the key messages coming out of uh, that research seems to indicate is that the role of professionals at a very early stage is to try and assess the quality of the attachment between a child and whoever's providing their care as a way of trying to assess the ability of a parent to meet their child's needs. And if we feel that a parent can meet their child's needs, it's looking at whether or not they've got the ability to make the changes and sustain those changes if there are issues around uh, about adult difficulties that are having a, a negative impact on children. Um, and if they've got that ability, I think a key thing is then trying to better understand are parents both willing to make those changes and to sustain them over a prolonged period of time because what children need is to have safe, secure attachments and have routine and predictability in their lives if they're going to be able to deal with the natural ups and downs that any child will go through, but also where parents are facing other challenges in their lives. Right, absolutely. I mean, I, I was also thinking there as you were talking that an awful lot of the drive, the initiative has to be towards those um, social care professionals, health professionals, and everybody working with families in being able to judge and assess family risk in situations like this where, um, you know, the, the impacts of the issues that you mentioned, substance abuse, mental health, domestic abuse, etc., the in, impact that that has on, on, on early years. So the, the training side of it, the awareness raising side of it, I imagine you would agree is quite significant. Certainly, David, and um, with my in my Bascan role, Bascan's an association, a membership association for individuals who are working with children and families around this whole issue of child abuse and neglect. Um, and the role of the association is firstly to influence government policy in each of the countries of the UK and Ireland, but also to support professionals to have access to and utilise the most up-to-date information about what is the nature of child abuse and neglect and how do we respond in ways that are helpful and effective? Yeah. And that requires a number of things. Firstly, the professionals are clear about their own role and responsibilities, but that they're also clear about the roles and responsibilities of other professionals. Secondly, that they've got policies and procedures which inform and guide their practice and that sort of point them in the direction of what is most likely to work and be effective for a child and their family. Thirdly, it's that attention's paid to communication as a process rather than uh, an end in itself. And so how professionals talk to one another about uh, the families that they're working with and the concerns that they have with children should lead them to be better able to intervene in ways which are helpful to the child and most likely to lead to their protection. And that really requires very good multidisciplinary intervention. And that intervention is likely to be much more successful if it happens at a very early stage before problems become entrenched and when families themselves are likely to be most open and amenable to getting the help that they require. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And I, I think maybe now is the time just to mention because uh, 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 our conference, we, we're going to be doing a joint conference um, on early childhood. We're going to be talking about conception up to age two, the first 1,001 days. And I'm delighted just to have this as our early announcement of that conference on April the 4th. 
at Ashton Court in Bristol in the west of England. And I'm also happy to, to mention what you and I know, John, but to, to the listeners, that Dame Tessa Jowell, who actually launched this on the 7th of November in the Houses of Parliament, along with uh, senior advisors for early childhood development in UNICEF, um, she is going to come and be our keynote speaker. So, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm really thrilled that professionals working in the, in, in the field with healthcare, with social care, whatever, but also people working in NGOs, people working in the community, and, and interested parents groups and so forth, all that range of people can come. We have a, a provisional title for the conference, which is, uh, This is My Childhood, There Will Be No Other. And uh, it's also going to be addressed by another speaker, a friend of ours from the podcast in the past, um, Jane Evans, whose uh, book is being published by Jessica Kingsley at the end of February, which is quite timely, on uh, as gentle story it is to help children aged two to six who've lived with domestic violence in their home because, as everybody, the listeners will be aware, there's there's very little chance of a child of that age being able to fully express what emotions they're actually feeling. So you've got to actually have a, a, a very sensitive way of, of teasing that out for those that have been affected by it. So I'm very much looking forward to that conference with you, John. I suspect that uh, you think a lot of what you've just said can be addressed there as well. David, we're delighted, uh, as Bass can, to be working with yourself on what we think is a truly important conference. Um, and we're very honoured uh, that Dame Tessa Jowell has agreed to come along to address the conference because we know that over a long period of time she's had a strong commitment to trying to ensure that government does the right thing for children and by children and their families. And you're quite right, the first 1,001 days are a critical period for both parents and children. It's so important to ensuring that there's an effective attachment between a child and their caregivers and also from what we know from the evolving science, it's really important for both brain and social development. Uh, and we also know that children are at their greatest risk of death and injury during this period. So the more that we're able to work with a range of individuals who might be involved in the lives of children or their parents, um, the more that we can sort of uh, try and identify those children who need a little bit of extra support mm. or need actually a lot of early support because we know that if we intervene early at those stages, we're more likely to help parents turn things around and for those improvements to be sustained, which will be uh, to the advantage of children and their families. So we're delighted that we're able to work together on this very important conference. No, I appreciate it, John. Thanks very much. I mean, just one little thing as a sort of a diversion, but it's something we've been involved with for a while as well, that... Um, not just the first 1,001 days, I mean, that will be the focus of our conference, but a lot of people would wish to talk about um, even the, the child in the womb and the effect that um, a lot of these sort of difficult social issues have sometimes in families, if there's violence or if there's substance abuse or, or alcohol addiction, whatever. Um, and, you know, the, the way that professionals will work with people who are pregnant but who also have, unfortunately, either been abused or are abusing themselves. I, I suspect that uh, you would agree that's something that people will want to talk about as well. Uh, every three years, BASCAN holds a major scientific congress in the UK, and the next one's due to take place in Edinburgh in 2015. Mm -hmm. And at the most recent one, which took place in 2012, we had a number of really interesting presentations, which was looking at how children later in life 
are being identified, for example, in primary school because they have difficulties um, paying attention, um, joining in group activities, their behaviours may be seen as challenging. And actually where those difficulties seem to be stemming from is actually um, during the period when their mothers were pregnant with them, their mothers were maybe struggling with substance misuse, they were maybe experiencing domestic violence. And actually all of these issues impact on the unborn child and can have a long legacy. And so it's really important for those professionals who are involved with women and uh, fathers at that very early stage from conception up to birth to try and be mindful of whether the, or, not, or not these issues are around and if so how to try and help parents deal with them at that very early stage because it has an impact on the child then and it has an ongoing impact once they're born so I think that's a critical phase as well David. Mm, I mean it's a pity there's not a double the amount of hours in the day, isn't it? It's going to be such a very good packed conference, I should think, in terms of the subject matter we're trying to cover. But I'm really looking forward to April the 4th and when it comes. Just just, just a slight diversion at the moment, because we're going to be obviously publicizing this left, right and center beforehand, because I'm absolutely committed to the subject. And I, I think the more people that get to know it, the better. But just before we go on to the final bit of this uh, podcast, John, a little bit more about BASCAN, if you would. I mean, could you just give us a sort of a status check and uh, about sort of BASPSCAN and how important it is maybe to encourage people to join BASPSCAN, who you might be looking for to join BASPSCAN and, and, and what the current, the current plans are within the organization in terms of kind of driving awareness forward in the country? BASPSCAN has members across all four of the UK countries and Ireland. And those professionals come from a wide range of different disciplines and backgrounds. So they can be people who are working in sure starts and children's centres. They can be paediatricians, social workers, police officers, health visitors, uh, teachers. The idea is that if you're a professional working with a parent or working with a child, uh, part of what you should be concerned about and alert to is whether or not families need additional support and whether or not some children might actually need not only support but also protection uh, in order to safeguard them from abuse and neglect. And therefore what BASCAN can do is to provide a forum whereby you can meet with other like-minded professionals and also receive information that helps you to access and utilize the most up-to-date information about the nature of child abuse and neglect both within your own discipline, but also on a multidisciplinary basis and help you to think about how you use that information to respond in ways that are helpful and effective for the child and their family. And we have a range of uh, ways that we try and do that. If as a member, you'll receive a copy of the International Journal Child Abuse Review uh, six times a year. You'll get discounts on attending conferences, such as the one that we're organizing in April, and also the three yearly uh, scientific congress. Um, but also we have a network of branches across the UK and Ireland that allows professionals locally to come together, both to offer support to one another and also to engage in local learning events to try and look at sort of what can be done at a local level that will better provide safeguards for children and supports for family moving forward. Mm -hmm. So we're very committed to trying to encourage individual practitioners and managers to join BASCAN as members and in return to make sure that they get the support required to deal with what are often very difficult and complex situations, but at least to have access to the most up-to-date training and information 
that allow them to feel more confident about dealing with uh, uh, the complexity uh, of daily practice. Well, and the thanks, yeah, and I'll, I'll definitely add that BASCAN is a very well-established and respected organization, so I would encourage people to look into it. So, final question then, John, if I might. Um, I think you'd agree with me that the media these days, is, if you like, is the window in the world for sort of 99% of the population, so whether it's broadcast, whether it's written, or whether it's social, um, you know, these days that's where more people get their opinions or their information, their knowledge, or actually form their views about things. In terms of social media, I mean, and what we're talking on right now, the Social World podcast, uh, I mean, it, it seems to my mind to be an increasing platform for people to exchange views, for people to communicate the views, and for people to listen for new information. What's your, your thoughts on the future of digital and social media? Either just as well as within your own world, but just just generally as a sort of final minute or two of the, of the, of the podcast. Certainly, I think that social media can be portrayed as having a dark, negative, scary side, but yet increasingly many of us use it uh, as part of daily life. And I think that whilst any new technology, whether it was the first printed book, uh, whether it was TV and radio, or now social media, whilst it could be misused, actually it has much greater potential for positive and constructive use. And as you've said, David, it's a great way for individuals to share information, to access information, to look for advice or pointers in the right direction, and also make connections with people who are interested in the same sorts of issues or working in a similar field, but are se separated by distance. And so uh, it's easy for me now to have um, a conversation with a colleague in Australia as easy as it is to have a conversation with a colleague down the corridor and to share information in ways that previously it would have been much more difficult to do. So I think as for social care uh, professionals in, in particular, but also anybody working with children and families, engaging with social media and trying to find out what might work for them in their particular situation um, should be encouraged. Um, and I know that there's a number of organizations who are able to sort of help uh, uh, professionals think about how can social media support their practice rather than just becoming another demand on their time. And I know that you do a lot of excellent work, David, around your podcasts and, and, and other uh, resources to try and help uh, practitioners get access to information uh, in an accessible format. Oh, that's brilliant. Well, look, John, thank you very much indeed for being a guest on the Social World podcast. And just picking up that last quick point of yours, um, I had a look this morning, and although we're growing as a podcast, uh, I'm delighted to say that you're now going to be heard uh, downloads uh, in 22 different countries and 16 United States. So uh, we're getting there. We're having a bit of a spread. And uh, many, many thanks for joining us today, John. David, thank you very much for giving me the opportunity to come along and uh, join yourself and join your listeners. And can I just take this opportunity to wish everybody a very safe uh, and restful period over the forthcoming festive season. Thanks, John. As the Christmas period approaches, I'd like to talk about two different countries. Two countries that are divided two countries that are split into different camps, and two countries that couldn't be more fundamentally different if they tried. The first country I want to talk about is the Central African Republic. 
whose population at the moment is going through the most harrowing time. Since 1962, when they achieved uh, independence from the colonial power of France, they've had eight coup d'etats, and tens of thousands of people have died. Currently, the conflict is between Christians and Muslims. And recently, when the uh, a Muslim militia seized power from the majority Christian population and installed their own president, the Christians then, then formed their own militias. And subsequently, there's been some horrific situations. Hundreds upon hundreds of people have died in the most violent uh, struggle imaginable. Uh, innocent civilians, as usual, have been the bulk of the casualties. Now, they haven't had food for days upon days, and only just now are relief supplies getting through and some degree of safety for the actual uh, NGOs and the, the French soldiers who've been sent in to try and keep the peace. And other soldiers in the African Union are on their way. But the point about it is that in the Central African Republic, the life expectancy of men is 48, and the life expectancy of women is 51. The atrocities that have been committed and that are still being committed uh, would make horror stories. And the people there have got absolutely little or no prospect of any kind of peace in the foreseeable future. Now, although France is intervening now, you just wonder of this central African country, surrounded by many other African countries who are going through similar, uh, similar horrible civil wars with thousands of people dying uh, on an annual basis and no prospect of stability in sight really anywhere within that particular region. The second country I'd like to talk about, and you'll see why I think it pulls apart, is Switzerland. Now in Switzerland at the moment there's referendums are being called for and what they actually want to do is introduce uh, what they call um, a minimum uh, wage but that comes free. The introduction of this controversial guaranteed basic income for all legal residents whether they're actually working or not. Now I mean, this sounds fantastic, but on the other hand, the amounts that they're talking about are just stratospheric, in my view, if you want to compare them to income in Africa. What they're actually saying is that £1,750 per month should be paid to every citizen who's got a legal right to be in Switzerland. And... On one side of the one camp is actually also saying that the proposed amount, 2,500 Swiss francs, as I said, $2,800, £1,750 a month, is scarcely enough to survive on. And that anyway, a society in which people work only because they have to have money is no better than slavery. And of course, I'm quoting. The thought was that people would work less and that people are free to decide whether they work or not. 
And interestingly, the demographic here is that it's the, a vast majority of young people that are lobbying for this universal income. Now, <laughs> there's a campaign technique going on in which 8 million coins are being displayed around the country to show that Switzerland can afford to pay its 8 million inhabitants a universal income. And one of the campaigners, who was a 25-year-old man studying for a master's degree at Zurich University, says, it's a struggle. I have to work so myself and my daughter can live. I came with a basic income. I might still have to work. But maybe I could just say, OK, let's just spend a week with my daughter and I wouldn't actually be out of pocket. Now, what kind of world are we living in? Okay, they're continents apart, but these days, that's nothing. Same human beings, same feelings, same problems, same issues, same debates, always go on. It doesn't matter the colour of their skin, it doesn't matter their background. These people have a universal right all over the world to the best that can be got for them. And yet here we are, one country where they're lucky to get a dollar a day, and another country where they're seriously arguing that £1,750 or $2,800 a month, free from the government, whether you work or whether you don't, as long as you've got a legal right to be there, is something that should be given. I just don't understand it. I mean, we've always known that there's the haves and the have-nots in the world. We've always known that there's going to be conflict. We've always known that Switzerland is a particularly... Um, idiosyncratic country. But goodness gracious, how come this is still going on at the same time? How come that we're actually debating this in the West, in Europe, at the same time as we're funneling millions to try and shore up a lot of African regimes where ordinary individuals and ordinary families are dying uh, in their thousands, day in, day out, through everything associated with poverty and conflict. I think at this time, Christmas time, when people are supposedly universally are meant to look out for their neighbours, are meant to think about other people, are meant to consider their own position, I actually consider that to be an obscenity. I actually think that Switzerland's debate and the way that they're actually conducting it sounds to me to be obscene. And I just can't help but wonder what your average person in the Central African Republic who's having to watch out that they're not getting stabbed by gangs and vigilantes that just because they happen to be one particular religion or another they're not going to get beaten up or burned to death they're not going to actually starve to death they're not going to actually have to endure another dictator another uh, cruel uh, year ahead and yet, if they only heard about Switzerland, they would just think it would be like Mars. It's just such another planet, and yet it's the same planet. For goodness sake, can't we just get a grip? <laughs>